0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Um, good if you're in New Zealand, maybe maybe not so good um, if you're in other parts of the Southern Hemisphere, um, such as Australia or in our case, South Africa. But we are back once again. Um, this is the Elite Rugby Venture Podcast. To use Adam's line, it is a podcast about rugby, um, and I'm joined, as has been the case the last couple of weeks, by Phil.
1: Hi,
2: and yeah, I'm uh, here despite the disappointing results we have to face up even you know when things don't go our way so we'll have to talk about some of the difficulties in the game i guess
0: yeah there we were one or two reschedules required to get us here to get the motivation for this um, but yeah i think it, it will be a cathartic experience if nothing else um, and we're also joined by andrew who is our man on the ground on saturday and he'll be giving us some live uh, feedback from, from the both games that we played andrew how's you going?
1: I'm going very well, thanks. Although I think on the ground is a bit of a, a misnomer considering Adam and I were up in the nosebleeds and in the third tier. But you know, as as things go at Ellis Park or Emirates Airlines Park, as they like to call it, there's no bad view in the stadium. Um, so I had an excellent view of a game I'd rather forget at this point in time. <laughs> I mean,
0: maybe, maybe we can start off then by speaking about the more uh, positive results from Saturday, which was the women's game um comprehensively outplaying Spain, who, you know, were almost scoreless until a kind of a last minute try to bring I wouldn't say respectability back into the score but at least avoid the donuts. Um you know, followed the game at home, but what was it like being in the stadium on the ground? Was it particularly well supported or was the park and ride situation getting in the way of a lot of supporters, do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean the game wasn't that well publicised. I think the first time I heard it was about a week of game four for months um, and uh, yeah the, you, you mentioned the park and ride just for the listeners the the service where you can sort of park off at a, a shopping center and then catch a bus into to the stadium only started half past one and the kickoff was a one p.m. kickoff for the women's test so it wasn't all that well organized in terms of making it possible for people to get there. Nonetheless, there were a few a few hundred people in, maybe a couple of thousand, at absolute most for the for the test match. Um, but I think people really missed out. I think our women are on a serious upwards trajectory right now. And uh, despite Spain being, I think, six places above us in the world rankings before the game, and now we've closed that gap to two. I think we're twelfth and they're tenth. Um despite the underdog status, the Springbok women put on an incredibly dominant showing. Um, the There were, as you sort of um, come to expect with women's rugby, some issues with the set piece. I think both teams really struggled with the line and there were some handling errors in that. But to be honest with you, I was very, very impressed by the quality of the game being played and also... Uh, even the men's game is not going to be ever a perfect game right there we're going to talk about how sloppy some of the line arts were especially in the first <laughs> half with the Springboks men's team who world champions and they, and they can't get it right so I think sometimes people are a bit harsh against the women's game it is a different game but it was really really entertaining to watch I think if I can pull out a couple of particular players our number six uh, was just stealing ball for fun on the ground and um, cleaning out racks like nobody's business, our number 8, 12, 13, we just running through that Spanish defensive line. And really from those three players in particular, I thought Libyansev and Rendsburg at fly half was excellent, kicking 100% of the tee. Um, so, and, and our two wings were incredibly clinical in their finishing. They took all the opportunities that came their way. So yeah, I'm I'm really happy that I made the effort to go through four hours ahead of the the men's test kickoff, which I mean they call it a curtain raiser, but I think to to put it four hours ahead of the the main the main test match for the day is is a bit of a stretch. It was a little disappointing coming out after the women's test and seeing how many people like how many thousands of people were standing in the queue for beer. I don't. maybe they didn't know that the test was going on inside the stadium and and, I just hope that they it wasn't a case of them not caring because it really was a good game and yeah I really hope people well I think I think that the the key is that success breeds success right and we've got a men's team who've been riding high for for 20 plus years and the women's team is sort of up and coming but I think as these results start to become more consistent um hopefully people sort of jump on the bandwagon and start to support the ladies I thought they really did an excellent job
0: yeah, I mean, I think the, the, the lack of public publicity is probably a big factor. Um, I think there probably is a lot of stigmatism to, against women's rugby as well, but you know, I think they definitely could have done a much better job in, in scheduling the games much closer together. You know, again, also, if you know you get to the stadium at, whatever, 12.30, I mean, that's a very, very long day out, considering you're only going to get home from Ellis Park, you know, after nine o'clock, because it's a bit of a mission to get home. So I can imagine that probably also factored into it. Um, but yeah, the, the, from... Well, I saw it was also, a very, I mean, a very dominant performance, as you say, guys breaking tackles at will. Um, yeah. But then some really nice soft skills as well. I mean, there was lovely cross kicks and some really good kind of footwork beating defenders. I mean, there was a great, like, dummy sidestep, half-bounced handoff by Nadine Ruiz for a try as well, which was just lovely to see. Um, yeah, it was, yeah, as you say, a great performance. And hopefully this, this on the back of the Japan win as well, leads us into... A bit more of a golden period, um, and, and yeah, we hope we can get a couple of results at the World Cup that do kind of stamp our mark a little bit um, and, and grow the game and the audience a little bit.
1: Uh, if I can add on to that, I mean, um, the Springbok women, I guess you could call them a semi-professional outfit at this point. They've just had their first spo- major sponsor announcement within the last ten days with them coming on. Um, most of the women are not professionally contracted still, I think, uh, so not full-time sportswomen or athletes, um, a lot of them holding down sort of alternative jobs and careers. So, you know, in that context, for them to be now 12th in the world and beating the likes of Japan and Spain, who are above them in the rankings, that can only be good and hopefully is good visibility for, for aspiring young women in South Africa wanting to join new sports, so yeah, I think the only way is up from here.
2: Yep, and if anyone's yeah. not aware, um, they're playing again against Spain on Friday, so if you can, try watch it. Like uh, these guys were saying, the game is really good. I also enjoyed it, um, particularly impressed with the physicality, but then You guys have pretty much highlighted the whole back line as well. They're all individually really good players. Uh, They all did well. I thought one thing was that it was quite cool. Um, The number 12 one man of the match and her twin was on the bench, and she like dedicated the man of the match to her twin who just came back from a long-term injury as well. So that's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, that's a really nice touch. Um, But yeah, I suppose as the day went on saturday we should probably speak about the next order um, as well and i think this will be a long discussion so getting into the is probably not the worst thing um but the springboks lost comprehensively at the end um to new zealand on the scoreboard um yeah i've spent quite a lot of time thinking about this and what my actual view and feelings towards the game were and our performance um but, yeah, I'm interested to hear you guys, your guys' thoughts as well. We haven't actually discussed the kind of at all warfare, so this will be a fairly fresh conversation. So, yeah, what was your guys' kind of main takeaways, um, Phil?
2: Yeah, um, very disappointing. I think um, we have touched in the last couple of weeks on the impact of playing a team back-to-back, and I think in terms of that aspect, New Zealand definitely came out on top in terms of adapting to what the other team had brought the previous week. So, They were really able to sort of um, deal with their own weaknesses and where they fell short in the previous test. Um, They were particularly improved under the high ball at the breakdown and even just general physicality where we dominated so much the previous week they sort of um, were able to match it and then disrupting the set piece whether it's scrums or lineouts lineouts most notably but even we couldn't get as much scrum dominance there were still a couple of penalties i think that uh, that we managed to win on our own ball but all those areas where which were the real sort of difference points in that first test were all improved upon by new zealand and that meant we didn't get any of those um yeah points of dominance and then just generally a worse performance i think a couple of things were unlucky like um Early injuries, and I'm um, having to go to Wing or the sort of the switch around that they had to do, whether it was, you know, whatever combinations they were going to go with. That's always difficult when you, and it's part of the risk when you're doing the 6 2 split. Um, and then starting with um, some guys like, you know, whether it's Dwayne or Dweber or even Ox, who were a bit rustier to say the least. You know, they hadn't played in a while and it showed. So I think there were some factors which were controllable which went poorly and some which were just a bit more unlucky um but yeah it's not the be all and end all like um like you're saying the game only really got away from the Springboks box at the end of the game um which really shouldn't have happened anyway so i don't think it was anywhere near like a comprehensive uh defeat
0: yeah i'll let, let andrew give his view before i respond to your kind of comments but i'm kind of on, on a lot of similar mindsets as you yeah, I would, Andrew, what was your takeaways?
1: I, I don't think that we can say the box were complacent, but certainly they were sluggish to start. And I think New Zealand raced off to a 13 or 15-point lead um, you know, early-ish in the first half. Uh, that was quite a, quite a difficult situation for the box to then drag themselves back into the match, which they actually did manage to do. Um, I think the fact that guys like and marks came on at half an hour was quite damning on the guys they replaced um, Dwayne as well going off for Jasper Visa, who I thought was, he, he really injected himself into the game nicely um, whereas Dwayne was fairly ineffective uh, I think we'd, we'd all hoped that we'd see the Thor of old but um, I've given the man is coming off a long injury layoff and um, every, he kept saying in the media how good his knee was feeling etc but he was definitely off the pace uh, which is sort of expected, but still disappointing. Um, I think the Springboks regressed from last week and the All Blacks progressed, basically. They they tightened up on all those areas that Phil mentioned and the Springboks, our defensive system, uh, wasn't as watertight as we sort of expected to be. Part of that might be the switch up in the back line. Um, Lucanya M had... A Definite man of the match performance for the box. Um, I don't know who was named the official man of the match, but he, he really was. Was it? Was it? Okay. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, Am really does deserve some praise for his performance. Playing position with Jesse Creel going off after just a few minutes. Um, the second casualty to Caleb Clark's high knee action when he's running um <laughs> i'll I'll put the first one down to faf's poor tackle technique in that situation, but I think jesse probably that was avoidable. it was
0: it was pretty much a dive at the knees as well to be fair, it wasn't like, <laughs> but, um,
1: yeah so so I think t- having Am out on the wing, you know he really is that defensive organizer in our back line and he's just that one further one further man removed from from where he usually is doing that organizing from, so that definitely played a role. And yeah, just unnecessary handling errors and some questionable decision taking. And on the other hand, the All Blacks just did not everything right on the day. I don't think it was a great performance from either team, Um, but they did better than we did and and honestly deserved the win.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think think at the end of the day, they did deserve the win. I mean, considering they won. (laughs) That being said, I think, you know, the more I've thought about it, the more frustrated I've got about the result. I mean, there were, there were a couple of uncontrollables, um, you know, Jesse getting injured, um, some plans that maybe didn't work such as the, you know, the and, and Dwayne selection, but even those I don't really have an issue with. I mean, there were a couple of refs thing, things that I think, you know, it could have gone either way. And we were just unlucky that all of them went against us, but you know, it was just that that's the way it goes sometimes. You know, there was, I felt like Luke Pierce really tried to stamp his authority on the match in the first 20 minutes, and like you know, didn't TMO things that he probably should have, um, or maybe another day would have. Um, again, whether those have gone our way or not, but that's that's besides the point. Um, you know, I think the team showed did really well to come back from that 15 nil down, um, and you know, to, to, to respond to the criticisms of of starting Dwayne and Marks. I mean, Dwayne and Dweber, like. We knew that there was risk around that, but that's why we had Lisa and Marks on the bench. We knew that if they were playing poorly, they were going to get come off at, at 30 minutes. And I don't think anyone would rather have been in a situation where we pulled off Marks at 45 minutes and then played 35 minutes of Dweber. Because that's the alternative. We only had two hookers in the squad. It was either going to be Marks and Dweber or Dweber than Marks. And the same with Dwayne. You don't want to have pulled pull, pull um, Jasper at 50 minutes and bring on an ineffective Dwayne to close off the game. So... Yes, it was a risk to play then, but we definitely, them coming off the bench was 100% the right option in my mind. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if, if Greta starts the next game as well, given that we'll get into that a little bit. Um, I think the probably the biggest mistake, though, that happened in the game was the way we shuffled our back line when Um went off. Krill um, went off. Sorry, Krill went off and I'm um went to wing. Um... I get the risk around the 5 2, but if you've got Vili on the bench, he covers 11, 14, 15. You've got Willemser that can move to 12 or to move to 13. To bring on a substitute and then rearrange four players
2: Mm.
0: is just ridiculous. You know, know, play Dilendi on the wing if you need to and move Willemser to 12. Like, there's lots of ways they could have combined, like, made that a lot less impactful than they did. And I think that was just really poor. Man It makes a lot more, you know, why take the best defender in the world and play him out of position yeah. and then put a 12 who hasn't played 13 in five or six or 10 years to 13, the most difficult position to defend. You know, so that was just really, really poor coaching. I think that that switch around um, and look, Um did really, really well to, to basically prove that he's also the best wing in the world and not just the best outside center. <laughs> um, you know, I think I think he was absolutely incredible um but you know he shouldn't have been in that position um and and that being said despite them definitely lifting their performance playing a lot more physically tightening up their kicking game varying the kicking game being better under the high ball racing out to a big lead and us being off the boil scrum not firing as much i don't think we made a single breakdown turnover we weren't dominating the collisions um line out was misfiring and we gave him a 15-foot lead, we still pulled ourselves back into the win. And I think that's the thing that's really, really important to note is that despite all of this, the relative poor performance from us compared to previous week and the relative improvement from then, yeah. we actually still pulled back into the league with 10 minutes to go. And maybe it was that we brought our subs up quite early, so we are a bit more tired, maybe we just not used to altitude. But, you know, that last 10-minute collapse was, was really, really poor. Um, but the fact that we had quite a poor game and pulled ourselves back into it, I think is, is actually not that... like the doom and gloom that maybe we were all kind of feeling after the game. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's a really, really weird one. Um, I think if you do have expectations of being the best team in the world, you need to win that game, you know? And, and if any, one of those small things, you know, Peter Steph's intercepted into a try, uh, the um like interception off the, the rip ball instead of the knock on, that's a try. Um, you know, the, the 10 points turnaround for the Hendrixer uh, block, you know, that's, 20 points I just, all, I any other day.
2: To, uh, oh, I, I just <laughs> couldn't believe that I just broke through and got that pass away. I, I
0: just, he just kept on going. It like, was just dancing. It was incredible.
2: <laughs> I just yeah, I wanted it to stand so badly just so that, you know, that would be captured as a try moment for the rest of history. I mean, yeah,
0: because that would have won us the game. It would have been try of all time. Try, but yeah, I mean, it was just the most incredible piece of attack and running. Like, yeah. I mean, as, as to be fair, as was his drive the first off that dummy like in the tackle, like
2: <laughs> it just threw like I think it threw Clark and also Jordan who was like covering both off yeah. just yeah. enough to just to like get yeah. enough space.
0: Yeah, and, and I mean that, that 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 offload that he made when he was also half a centimeter, you know, from but he did this incredible work. But yeah, so, it's just so good. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's frustrating because we should have won it but not as bad as I think it was you know um, at the time uh, like who if you were to look at individual players who do you think particularly stood out and apart from you know Dwayne and Dweber that, that, that did the fight quite badly do you think there's anyone that really let the team down
2: I think it's hard to yeah, point the finger at anyone. I mean, both like those two, because they got hooked off early and maybe Ox too. He didn't really have too much of an impact, but like even those three it's, um, it feels like it's not really, yeah. It's almost not right to point the finger at them. It's like the team and the system and yeah, the other line are the obvious um, area where you can look at it and think that has to be better. You can't be making those types of mistakes. But other than that, I mean, even with Dwayne, I think, like, yeah, he looked a little bit off the pace, but he's still, you know, doing his role. I think they targeted him pretty well to make sure that he wasn't, because he's normally one of our main, you know, uh, turnover-focused areas, and, like, they just targeted him and made sure that he couldn't
1: get involved. Yeah, I tend to agree with Phil that this wasn't an issue of of individuals necessarily. Yes, there were some disappointing performances which guys will have to own up to and I think the, the Springbok change room is quite a brutal place in that regard uh, but I think the, the real failings were at a team level. it's brought up the the backline reshuffle which I agree with wholeheartedly although this is the second time that Am has gone to wing ahead of De and Dwilly so there seems to be a predetermined move yeah. in that regard but th- the other thing that that really disappointed me, and and played itself out later in the game in a key moment was our inability to, to adjust when our high ball dominance was not as good as last week, and we kept hammering that tactic and just kicking down their throats, and it just wasn't working for us on the day. Um, one or two, sh- surely like yesterday, did work, um, but we didn't have nearly the same dominance we had last week and um, the All Blacks obviously working on it. I saw Geordie in the warm-ups um, before the game. That's all he did, was catch high balls. Um, and when that wasn't working, what is plan B? And I didn't see a plan B from us, really. Um, there was that moment... I don't know if late, I
0: necessarily agree with that, but carry on.
1: Well, there was that moment late in the game and where Herschel Yankees went to the box kick and three minutes to play, we were in their half with possession Moving forward, and he kicked the ball away. New Zealand cleared it and got down high into the field, and then scored a try. Um, and that, to me, felt like we had front football in their half. We work our way for the penalty. We stretch our lead to five. Um, creates a much different game than we receive the ball off again. So um, that that, and I mean the the collective groan around the stadium. I think a lot of people agree with me on on that particular decision. I mean, you might you might disagree with me on it more generally through the game. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think what I was going to say is I think we showed that last week we deliberately did play within ourselves because we knew we could. Last week we were so dominant playing boring games. We didn't, you know, in the first half we did do a little bit of running and then we just completely retracted and and were boring because we knew we were crushing them. Whereas this week, you know, I think we played a wide a lot more. We played, um a lot more like set phases. I thought we played really, really nicely and mixed it up quite a lot. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think we, I mean, we probably still kicked a lot, but I think we did also attack in other places of the field a lot more than we did the previous week. And we got success from it. You know, we had a couple of really nice backline moves. I mean, I just try was, was that backline move um, where you've got Willemster coming in at 12, um, or coming in at 10 and then Pollard doing the nice flat pass afterwards. You know, I think they really, really use Pollard's flat passing to good effect. Um,
1: yeah, probably and to, and underrated. Fair, on on that point, I think the distribution from both Damian Vellumser and Vili LaRue was sublime. Um, when those moments presented themselves to go wide, they executed some incredible passes to get bo- the ball out there. Uh, just up to that point, I mean, those those moments were few and far between. But that is modern rugby. I mean, you you create the the very few opportunities that you get in the modern game, and then you've got to execute them. Um, but yeah, I just felt, as a spectator at the game, that the kicking was a bit too much and too aimless, and we kept hammering down a tactic that wasn't working on that evening. But um, yeah, look, I I, I, mean, I take the, your the, the, points. <laughs> that that,
0: young, that Yankees kick at the end was incredibly frustrating. It, it was um, quite similar I to. The goal.
2: I think it was quite similar to one against Wales, like where it was, or maybe it was the Lions, where it was like right at the end of the game and in a sort of similar position and everyone i'm sure at the stadium but also at home just sort of grown and you know he's being told to do it but it's like coming on to add that impetus and then sort of going against his what you would consider a skill set um but yeah you're saying asking about some players who put their hands up i think i agree with andrew about Billemsa and billy which it, it also then raises the question you know about that switch up you're getting guys like and, I think, Willemsa, as we've discussed, possibly in their best positions, but just still having to move them all around. And I think I've realized, and it's harsh, and it's on form, and it feels weird to maybe even break up, you know, possibly the best center pairing in the world. But I, I would really like to see Willemsa carry on at number 12, and I think I'm at 13 as a given, which I don't think uh, Dielinda has been playing particularly poorly but just slightly off its best, I think. And yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't hate it if we saw Willemsa um and um as our center pairing going forward for a little bit.
0: I mean I think that would definitely bring a lot more dynamism to that center role. And I think Willems has got the not necessarily the grunt of D L N D, but he's definitely got um I mean he's not a small man and he 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 can add punch in a different way with his footwork. Um yeah. you know, so he definitely is not like a a walkover at 12, and defensively he's very strong. So I mean, I think I'd, I'd actually quite like that. I think, as you say, De Lendi is off the game a little bit, so it would be cool to see a different combination there. Um, it means we get to have Vili on earlier, uh, but I suppose the problem with that is, you know, that means we either bring France Stan onto the bench, and which makes us even more aged in the back three if you lose a wing earlier you know then you're forced to play the at wing and obviously if they're really not thinking Billy, Billy's comfortable enough on the wing or doesn't have the pace or whatever it is um, to play there when there's an obvious straight switch you know they're not going to move in there and front stage so it it is worrying it does put pressure on the 6-2 from that perspective you know I think if you've got a a bench player like Villy, who's got experience on the wing and is meant to be a fullback and quick like He's got to be playing on the wing when there's a wing injury. Um, yeah. you know, I think that was just really poorly thought out. Um, yeah, but I think there were quite a lot of players that stand out. Stood out, sorry. I mean, we've already mentioned. Um, um, I think Willemsa uh, had a very strong game. I think mean, Pollard had a very good game. I mean, he's what 19 kicks on the trot now in a row with no misses. I mean, he was, yeah. you know, that 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 the confidence to go for that 60 metre penalty on half time to yeah. bring us within five was. I mean, that was a very big balls moment. And he pulled it off, um you know so I think Pollard's really after that that the first last game where, or the second last game was the first one he played he was maybe a bit not on his on his best, but he's definitely stood up and shown that he needs to be there um I think the loose trio were fairly quiet um I didn't see too much of you know see had a very barnstorming game and last week he was fairly quiet this week. I think, yeah, as you said, I don't think anyone played particularly badly, but also no one was really apart from the ones we've mentioned, really stamped their authority on the game. We still yet to see a lot of Mopimpy in games either. I feel like he's also been generally quite quiet by his standards.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I think Mopimpy was unlucky in a lot of instances. Um, There was one play where he got tackled out, not too much to go before the line. There was um, the disallowed try as well. I think there were three points in the game where we got over the try line and weren't rewarded with a try so yeah. I mean, if you take that into context um you know something you said earlier and about you know i don't think we should be this disappointed about the performance i think the 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 real depression that's set in across south africa if i can be dramatic is probably to do with the fact that the expectations were so high like we came off such a dominant win this is a going to be historic like two out of two We were going to do even better this week because we knew what we needed to work on and the All Blacks were hurting because of Ian Foster's out of job and um, the expectations were so high. I don't think our performance was really down in the dumps as Mark Keohane might um, make make you want to believe. But I think it was that that gap between those phenomenal expectations that were put on the side and then just not getting that result uh, again i don't think the all blacks played particularly well i think they were eminently beatable on the day uh, yeah i mean as, as we
0: proved hard. by almost beating them admittedly not playing that well so i think all the reports of people saying oh the all blacks are back you know and oh they've solved yeah. all their problems i think they need to be yeah. a bit more cautious about that i think there's yeah you know, they, they definitely played better but i mean you yeah. know they were definitely weren't incredible i mean i said we should we a couple of those decisions from the you know the ball falling the other way that that that's that's us winning the game, or we just don't make that same mistake in, in the backline reshuffle and we win the game. And you know? so I think it's
1: yeah. yeah. Look at the All they, Blacks. They just, the the backline player was was so disjointed. I know they had a new a new fly half coming in. I don't think Richie yeah, was... Yeah, but,
0: uh, but he's mates with Havili. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's he, not like that. They're yeah. a unknown co- uh, combination together.
1: No, I mean, how many how many times did we see the All Blacks throw the ball into touch past the wing? I think yeah. at least twice least yeah, three times. They just couldn't connect with each other. It wasn't a great performance by any means. Yeah, especially I don't, I don't compared so. to,
2: like, the, you know, previous All Black sites that we've seen who are normally just so slick and always on the same page and stuff. They're way off that still. They were just better in terms of mostly, like, the basic things, you know, whether it was set pieces or whether it was, you know, just sort of... Keeping uh, momentum going and not dropping the ball, they still dropped the ball, like you said a couple of times. but even if it was just simple moves, just keeping um, the ball close to the pack and not giving like away anything silly, they were just better at those things, and that's ultimately all it took. I don't think there was anything sort of you know crazy about the way that they performed like we've seen in the past. And ultimately, I think some guys on their side also stood up. Maybe some of the more experienced guys, someone like Sam Whitelock in the lineouts, and um, and even the young props who came in. I think to give them a bit more credit. Like I wasn't expecting much from them, but they did better than I, I would have expected. So I guess well done yeah. to them.
0: No, I think I think we you know you, you do need to give credit to to New Zealand. They they looked at what they did badly last week and they improved. You know they were incredibly much better under the high ball. They were much more physical. Much better at right time there. You know, they their cleanouts were on point and energetic. And I mean, we didn't have a sniff at a, at a breakdown turnover the whole game, which, you know, to turn that around in a week is amazing. And you can see the players clearly still support Foster. I mean, how many of them post on Instagram, you know, saying as much. Um, and you can see the energy in the team was there. The work, obviously, during the week was there. So it's a very interesting one, which maybe leads us to the next point, is what on earth is happening in New Zealand about Foster? Because after the game, I think yesterday, um mark robinson comes out ceo hazy press conference saying we haven't made a decision we need more time they are interviewed foster after the game on the field and he says brew i have no idea if i'm playing if i'm coaching next week i mean how on earth are you meant to operate in the new zealand setup when you don't know as a player or a coach what on earth is happening surely there was some description said like this is
2: the plan and that's such a crazy answer for someone who comes off as so, like, um, cards to the chest almost. Like, you'd think even if he knew either way that he, you know, ha- would have a chance or what he thought, he would just, like, not give too much away to the public. But that you sort of answer... Yeah, Foster. Sorry. So the way that he responded to that question was also just so uncharacteristic of, like, the normal process that happens in New Zealand. So I think that sort yeah. of you know, um, also just shows what level of disarray they're in at the moment in terms of that organisational level.
0: It's quite interesting seeing Foster in the first one. I mean, he came out and he was firing at the press, being like, you know, you guys are really, really assholes, basically. You know, the way you're tearing into me, my family, my character, the team, like, you know, it's was just not an idea. You know, so he, I think he kind of, you know, once he got the result, it's like, cool, he's done what he could to save his job. And, like, now he was just happy to pull out people, for, for being dickens, including Mark <laughs> Robinson for being like, Bro, you know, how can you not tell me if I'm still here yet? It's not you know, not even just for himself and his own job security, but how's the team into plan? They're playing Argentina two games at home in the next two weeks. Like, who is gonna be coaching them? So, you know, is he gonna get That's off the crazy. plane in New Zealand and suddenly find out? You know, like what's the story there? It's just really, really poorly managed. Um,
1: yeah, I wanna I wanna believe that this is a decision that New Zealand is is I mean, they, they send the guy off for a two-test series in South Africa. They've re, they replaced two of his assistant coaches. If they didn't have confidence in him, why didn't they replace him at that point? The, they, I mean, the the impression is that they gave him the two tests to to make a claim, basically, for his job. He's done one out of two, and, and one was a near historic loss. Um Maybe, maybe he, he was on the chopping block before they even left for South Africa and they just needed a couple of weeks to negotiate a, a contract with his successor. I don't know what the situation is. Yeah,
2: I mean, I think that's very possible. There was a, one of the New Zealand journalists who's traveling with the team. I think he was on Cape Talk, or one of the radio stations that I was listening to on the way to work. And they asked him, like, do you think if he wins before the game, they said, even if he wins, do you think he'll keep his job? And like they said, probably not. It's probably too late, you know, even though this was a great win for them. Everything that's already happened has already been such a poor level that that win might not have mattered. Yeah, so it's, it's a
1: team. weird... Sorry? Go ahead, and. No. Nah. <laughs> I was going to say, if, if they do get a new coach in, that, that poor bugger has got... Minimal time to turn around a team for the rest of the Rugby Championship, and he's got minimal time in relative terms to prepare them for the World Cup. And I don't know that New Zealand's really played bad players. I don't know how much I would tinker with the selections if I was given carte blanche on the New Zealand team. There's, there are a few that I think I would make, and we've made discussions around the Loose Trio, for instance. Um, but... You know, he, he's put good players out on the field and just hasn't really made them gel or, or got, the, got them to perform to potential. But I, I feel really bad for whoever takes this job. And it's got to be someone either either very desperate or with not a lot to prove um, who, who takes this Warren job. Warren
0: Gatlin, is that what you're saying? Sounds
1: Thanks. like me.
2: Perfect.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> perfect like you're saying Warren
2: Gatlin. <laughs> I mean, it is probably like the job one of the jobs in probably all of sport that has like the highest expectations, you know. The All Blacks have such a high general win rate, they're almost expected to win every single game. Like, it's easy in a way because they're usually so good, but especially like we've discussed, currently they're lacking personnel and especially in certain positions. Like, it's it's not an easy job to take because those expectations are always going to be so high. To come to South Africa and to win one out of two, people are still going to be disappointed. For, not now because they have had Foster in the, um, and they lost the Irish series, but just generally, I think you know, it's it's a tough job in that sense.
0: Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, it's one, and I mean I was half joking but I do think someone like Gatlin would be a great pick because a he will simplify the game plan take it back to basics b he's got the coaching cv he's kind of proved what he needs to prove like he's not going to be too stressed around for approving things and and um, yeah thirdly he's not a great coach so it makes our lives a lot easier for the world cup
1: <laughs> yeah, he's got a pretty poor record against South Africa I think but um, I don't even know that his name's in the hat I haven't seen I, I, I
0: don't think so no, I'm just think. saying because he's
1: he's there <laughs> yeah, most, most seem to think Joe Schmidt I think is the next in line hey?
0: yeah I mean he's at least involved in the setup at the moment I mean he's one of the selectors um, I think he's taken on a slightly more technical analysis role recently as well but yeah so that, that would probably and he's in a similar place you know he's kind of done what he needs to do professionally from a rugby perspective but no one's going to judge him too harshly if the All Blacks win or lose from here. You know? um, where someone like Robertson, there'd be so much pressure and expectation for him to come right, that you kind of wouldn't want that if you can't have it all your way. Um, so I kind of, I kind of get, get his reservations to take on that job. Um, yeah. Anyway, it'll be an interesting
1: week, how it evolves. Um, that I mean, if you, let's, let's put it put it this way, guys. After that two-test series, what are your positives as an All Black team that you're taking out of this? Um, what, who who are your standout players for the tour, and and what are you taking home that you've you've learned or that impressed you or you felt you executed on? I mean,
2: I I, I, f- I think the biggest thing is the turnaround in one match, the, the improvement. And that, to, to be fair, that I think that does speak to the coaching team, the whole coaching team. It's hard to, hard to pinpoint where. But whether it's just motivational or whether it's technical and, like, tinkering with certain tactics, the turnaround from one week to another is a huge plus. But at the same time, like, end-of-year tours and World Cups, you don't really get that. That's what this sort of um, double uh, series had which won't always happen going forward. Um and in terms of players, like yes, this match had some like we said, uh Geordie Barrett was really good under the high ball and and Scott uh Sam Whitelock was good, but throughout both games, I don't know if anyone sort of performed really well in both games. Like Barrett was one of their better performers, uh Bowden Barrett in the first game and he hardly played in the second game. So <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. And who, who would you say stood out?
0: I mean, I think they've found their, their front row. I think that's been something that's scratched their head around for a lot. So I think all three of those guys being very young, very junior, you know, to come to South Africa and not get mangled um, and actually kind of hold your head up is is something that they can be stoked about. I mean, obviously, Sevilla always plays like Adi. Um, but yeah, I think, I mean, Rico got mad of the match, but I didn't see him do anything particularly exciting apart from running in space when he got the ball. I mean, like... Yeah. Some of his
2: defensive work, I think, was good, but yeah. I okay, agree.
0: I mean, that's what I said. I, I, I didn't notice it. I'm happy to, to be corrected there. But um, yeah, I think, I mean, Havili, I don't think, is a test level 12. Um, I'm still yet to see him do anything particularly useful. I think he's doing making far more videos for throwing offloads into touch than he is for doing anything particularly positive on the field. Um, you know, he seems to run weird lines and get bunched up with the people, I mean, the players around him. Yeah, so it's I mean I would say that probably the, the front row was a big thing. And I think Shadow Stanford Rosal, much blind as he is, played well. I think he brought that aggression and that that um physical presence they needed at blindside. Um, so I think they probably benefited from that a fair bit. Um yeah, not not that I would still argue for him to be in a team, but um it is what it is. <laughs>
1: yeah, I I was personally surprised to see uh, Samisoni Takeaho play ahead of uh, Coles and Taylor, but they stuck with him for the second game. I didn't think he had a brilliant first game, but he didn't have a bad game either. He just didn't really stand out. And I felt like in the second game, he, he also upped his mongrel and and managed mm. to really make an impact carrying in the tight loose and then did well to identify that it was just Lukanyuama on the blind side and then pivot over for his try as well. Um he, he impressed me especially in the second test and he, he might be a, a good find for the future. I don't think he wasn't really on the radar maybe six, nine months ago, but uh he's definitely staked a good claim for that number two jersey with with Taylor and Coles no doubt getting some grey hairs and <laughs> looking more towards retirement than uh, the golden golden era of their careers. So I thought he was maybe a good find, but I think we're we really we're trying hard to find silver linings on what I think has to be seen in context as a pretty poor tour by all-black standards. But those are incredibly high standards, as, as you guys have said.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, but yeah, looking looking ahead, the Springbok squad has been announced um, for the next step of the tour. There's been some interesting omissions. Um, yeah, a couple of players not making the cut, such as Devin Ruiz, um, Bruin Nokia, obviously... You've got Bongi and Quirli Arnta both being injured. I think probably the biggest omission of a frontline player is probably Marvin Ori. Um we've been backing some we've been backing some Murat ahead of him. Um but yeah, I think the the really interesting thing is, I mean, Caden Moody's going on the squad as kind of the only right wing there is. Um, given everyone else is injured. I mean, Creel is Included, um, but is he going to be available? We don't know. But they've only gone with two hookers, um, so obviously the, the the coaches didn't see enough negative in in Joseph Weber's uh, performance to not back him. And I suppose it comes back to the question I was saying: is does that mean they start him or they bench him in the next test?
2: Yeah, that's a massive question, eh? um, and we spoke about it quite a bit last week about the sort of pros and cons of playing marks. From the beginning or starting him from the bench and it is a role which Marx has become has made his own off the bench and has been so positive but yeah just like we we're saying it's um it can be hard to judge someone so harshly based on one poor performance but i think Andrew is saying it's not necessarily dweber's first um first shaky outing i think he had one previously uh whoever i can't remember who the opposition was but um it's a little bit of a cause for concern because we know what we've got in marks um but at the same time i i'm very hesitant as the coaching staff are too thankfully to write off to weber i think both marks bongi most probably like international hookers they they don't always you know um go into an international career without any blemishes on their record so i'm really hoping that Hmm. weber can turn it around and um i don't other than his throwing which he needs to sort out and i'm sure the coaching team feels that he can i I don't feel like there's any parts of his game that should be lacking so i don't know if that's also maybe partly a mental thing
0: i think that's a fair point i mean when bongi and mark's both joined the spring box scene they both were had pretty poor line out showings at times. I mean, marks were definitely not great. And then I remember there was a test against Australia where Bongi was hooked at like 25 minutes or something because he was throwing so poorly.
2: Yeah, um, I mean, marks used to be considered a relative like liability with his throws, even at the line. Yeah, lines. so you know,
0: I think, I think I think guys obviously can learn that. Um, hopefully, it's something that that whoever does learn. I mean, at least we do have a really strong backup in Problabaka back home if we need him. It does feel a bit weird that we're traveling with four scrum offs but only two hookers, but you know, that's the coach's calls. Um yeah. And otherwise in the back line, it's just we it's worrying how few wings we've got left. I mean, as I said, McPimpy being the only out and out wing, um, with Kane and Moody also I suppose being probably a preferred wing, not gonna necessarily start a fullback, but no, yeah, it does seem a bit interesting there. Um yeah, Andrew, who do you want to see kind of step up in the next phase of the tour where we played two matches against Australia?
1: Well, just to get back to the hooker issue, I think obviously Dion Fury is traveling as the third hooker. Oh, right. We've got, yes. we got two and a half hookers in the squad. Um, Furry hasn't played hooker for a while, but he played most of his career there, to be fair. So, and I, I did read that he's been training as a hooker in training as sort of an extra backup as well. Uh, throwing in the lineouts, et cetera, to the to the reserve squad. So he is there um if we need him. But I think Dweber is the project player at number two at the moment. And I think and you've you've convinced me earlier on in this pod that the, the safe bet is actually starting Dweber, which seems a little bit backwards, but it, it does actually make logical sense uh, in mm-hmm. that you know what you've got coming off the bench. So I think that the option is you either play you play Dweber up front and if he's terrible you've got marks in reserve. Or you play Malcolm Marks and you play him for 75 minutes uh, and you don't give Dweber a chance. But I don't think that's fair on Dweber. He, he does deserve to be in the box squad on on hit the back of his good performance as a club level in France. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it's a good idea to stick with him. And it's good for a player's confidence to, to just have that consistent selection. So that's great. Um, you know... I think we'll see more. It, it was said in the media today, earlier today, that they'll take a different squad to to Argentina. Um, they're not going to have the same squad travelling to Australia as the one that's going to go to Argentina. So, I think that's when we might see more experimentation rather than against Australia. Um, there may be. Opportunities to rest guys like Eben Etzebeth and Damien Dallander who've who've played the majority of Springbok games in the last 10-12 tests to give them a chance to or to get their, their understudies chance to play. So the likes of Andre Esterhazen I think is a good like-for-like replacement for Dallander potentially against Australia. Um, and I, I guess at 4-lock you've got Salman Murat uh, coming up in that position. So good opportunities for those guys to, to stake a claim. I'd like to see Damien Willemser get more selection time. Um, I'd like that to be at fullback because that's where he's been succeeding and it's only going to keep growing his confidence. But I'm not averse to the idea of him playing at 12. I'm not the biggest Andre Esterhazen fan, so I would actually prefer to see Damien Willemser played there over Andre Esterhazen. As you said, he offers something different. He's not the... The go forward just absolutely beast your way through them physically. He's going to beat them just before contact with his feet. But the ultimate thing we want from our 12 is go forward ball and how you do that is, is up to your skill set and making the most of it. So yeah, Damien Willems has had a great start to this championship and also was good against Wales. So I'd like to see him consistently selected. Um, I'll go back to the, uh, to the, <laughs> to the drum I keep beating about why is Apalele Fassi not in the squad and again it it, it just beggars belief that Kanan Moody, Moody is going ahead of him and to me that doesn't make sense but there must be some internal politics or, or some reason for it um, and we all in, in Rassi and Jacques we trust so we'll, we'll just hope that they, they have some method to their madness but as you say we are desperately thin at wing if Mapimpi goes down and we're stuck in Australia and um without a wing or something like that we we're really gonna be scratching the barrel with probably playing uh, either krill or chaant and and then Vili on the other side or you know something like that. So three players who aren't wings that are covering wing, and it's it's very much uh, it just seems you've got four scrum offs. Why do you need some very quick some very one, quick scrum offs. <laughs> yeah, but still, why can't you take a specialist wing cover? I don't no, get I it. I agree. I
2: agree. Uh, hopefully it doesn't come to bite, bite, bite us. Yeah, well, there's
1: also, there's also um, I think with the 6-2 split, they also say that Quacker Smith covers wing, so...
0: We were sitting and watching what people were saying, should we not be bringing Quacker on at wing rather than a you villy know, <laughs> and then rejigging the whole back line. <laughs> um, which I which I appreciated. I thought that was quite funny.
1: Yeah, I'd love I'd love to see that personally. I, I think it, I think if if the opposition's sharp enough, they should really tuck into Cuaca in that position. But I would love to see it just for just for the cheers. I, <laughs> I, mean, I I reckon just, I, I still have
2: nightmares like, of Severis running over Cuaca on the wing when Cuaca <laughs> was playing for the Lions against the Crusaders. That was probably one of the worst things that I've seen Quagher do, or not do.
0: <laughs> I I do remember that, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, other than that, I mean, there's not a lot of bolters in that squad. It's players we know, players that know the system. It's not like you've, I think Elrich Lowe is maybe, apart from Kane and Moody, is the most inexperienced player going on tour. Um, and he, he potentially deserves a shot, but I think with Dwayne coming back, they're going to give him increasing minutes as long as he stays fit so i don't think he's got a chance at eight and seven seems pretty sewn out by peter Steff, who who by the way i was watching in particular because i don't think he's been at his best but he's been escaping any criticism in the media because i think he's just he's got such an incredible reputation and track record but i was watching him during the game and he didn't make a lot of tackles but the reason for that is of every single set uh, every single Phase that New Zealand ran, he was lining up Richie Moonga, and Moonga was so scared to run anything into contact. He was getting rid of that ball as quickly as he could because Peter Steff was just looming every single time he would just target him, which obviously was a, a tactic and um, did keep Richie Moonga pretty quiet and honest for most of the game. I felt so. I think you know Peter Steff is one of those players like Kulisi that does a lot of the the things that people don't see very well. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think
0: that's fair. It would be interesting to see some of the players' stats. I haven't looked into them too much, but it would be interesting to see.
2: But it is one of Um, those with with Peter Steff, you know, like, his tackle success rate isn't usually that high because of that. You know, even in the World Cup final, he did the same thing with George Ford. Just, like, every time, just, you know, pressurize him, just (laughs) make him shit his pants if you can. Um, Yeah, that's, like been his role for a while. So yeah, I, I think I saw that um South Africa missed like twenty five tackles or something. Um, yeah. Which isn't great. That's but okay. at the same time the previous week they missed like a similar number. So it's 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 not as important in I think in the way that, you know, South Africa play as much.
0: Normally yeah, but I think when you've got again your your back line is out of sync. That was the problem. For me that was the biggest issue. I mean that they they how easily they could get over the top of us because we didn't have a wing they could shoot in or a 13 they could shoot in in the system and I think you know as I said playing playing um, I'm out of position just messed that whole system up um, yeah. so yeah anyway but I suppose we should mention that there was another match on the weekend
2: um, <laughs> and, <If> we must. <laughs> and, and we are
0: going to be playing them next so that's true you know what it's uh, you know Australia the first game against Argentina they fell behind quickly and managed to turn it around and pull back a result in the second half. Um, and everyone was applauding. You know, Dale's Rennie's team showing that there was character in there, that they can fight to their coach. And then they got absolutely battered the next week. Um, there were a couple of moments as well where, you know, there was some tough refereeing decisions that they cleaned up by James Slipper where Matera went over his head. You know, another day that doesn't get called, and then that's you know try pulling it back. Um, that maybe gives them some confidence; they're back more in the game. But look, if you're going to concede 14 points in the first six minutes against Argentina, you're going to be in for a long road, um, as as we were. And I think that's why you know, we were 15 behind. And I think you know we deserve credit for fighting our way back. But yeah, you know, Australia just never seemed to pull them would be in a position to pull themselves back into the game. Um, how do you feel that, that lines us up for? you know, our perennial bogey team um, when you play them in two weeks?
1: I mean, I don't know how much we can really read into that because I think they're getting eight players back from injury uh, for the games against South Africa. So it's going to be a fairly different lineup. I think, that we see. That being said, I think this is sort of indicative of where Australia are at at the moment. They are capable of putting on really good performances, but I think as a side, they're in a rebuilding finding their finding themselves phase um with all the injuries with their their um probably most influential player pulling out because of mental health issues and you know good on him for for doing that and looking after himself but you know it it is disruptive to any team in world rugby to i mean the the australian someone put together a, a 15 of injured players in australia and it's it's probably like as good as the team that they're putting out against Argentina at the moment. So, um, yeah, I don't know how much I would read into it, but given South Africa, I think we should expect to beat Australia, even if it is even if it is in their home ground. I think we are a better team on paper. Um, it's just about the performance on the day for me. Australia can pull it off, and if they have some of their starters back who, who are influential players, then then it, it's going to be a tough assignment and in an away a game against Australia, as it always is.
2: Yeah, I, I think um, just, you know, the fact that we got these results so wrong in our predictions... Um, I think (laughs) last week we said, you know, they're a well-coached team. They can handle these injuries. That shows, like, (laughs) the good coaching. Obviously, um, it didn't quite pull through this week. Maybe one thing that we neglected upon a little was the unpredictability of Argentina themselves, who can pull out massive differences in their level of performance week upon week. So, um, yeah, a bit of that. But also a bit of Australia, like you said, just being not quite you know, knowing themselves just yet. And they like, I think we also said last week, they're one of the teams that is building quite steadily towards the World Cup. So if they are definitely at that level in the process of building and not at the sort of final level where they expect to be, you know, um, next year for the World Cup. Um, I, I, I would never be confident to say that we are going to just go to Australia and have a, um, you know, a... a a good performance just because it's such a bad record there and it's always so tough even with injuries and yeah i don't know which players are coming back or not just yet but um yeah i'm interested to see what will happen i think it should be a great uh great series
0: yeah i mean i am not that excited to wake up at seven thirty in the morning to watch the game um very early start so We'll be buying some orange juice and champagne to enjoy that. Um But, yeah, I think it's it's always interesting playing Australia because it is just such a, a clash of styles um, and an opportunity for us to kind of flex our muscles a little bit. But, yeah, it's also, you know, as we know, a bit of a bogey team. And hopefully we don't have the brain fades and things. You know, we can continue on a upwards trajectory. I really just don't want us to get to the end of the year with another 60% win record for Ben Smith to write some ridiculous article about how we're not a great team. Um, you know, I think that's that's probably the most frustrating thing about this last weekend is that you know, we really needed to stamp our authority as as the number one team by winning that, and you kind of slipped back into an you know, upper class team as opposed to a superior team. But yeah, you know, I think that's pretty close on to an hour. I'm happy to, I think we can probably wrap that up there if you, if you guys are happy, if you've got any closing thoughts. Um, well, Do you reckon the Argentina are going to give New Zealand a run for their money back
1: home? Well, I don't know. This is this is what, I'm, what I want to pose to you guys is on the back of that performance, should we have not sent our alternative squad to Australia and let our first team take on Argentina? <laughs> it's a, a bit of a controversial one. Now, obviously, these plans are made well in advance, but Argentina are forced to be reckoned with. It seems uh, if if uh, if New Zealand are thrown into turmoil with the appointment of a new coach and all the changes that are likely to come with that, who knows? Argentina may be in with a shot.
0: Yeah, I mean that could be something, huh? I mean Argentina is riding high at the top of the um, rugby championship block at the moment, so maybe they are the team to beat.
2: Yeah. And I think they've had some good results against New Zealand in New Zealand. Um, for whatever reason, I'm, like they seem to play better, I think. In, like They always get smashed when they play at home against New Zealand. They're better against Australia, but I think they have a better record away against New Zealand. So hopefully they'll play into their hands and they'll, it'll be a really good game um, wherever they're playing. I think they might be playing under the roof, hopefully.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um. I wish Argentina all the best. It would be lovely if they could pull a big result out. John, that being said, I think that's a good place to wrap up. Uh, Thank you for listening through, and we'll catch you probably before the next match. Cheers. Cheers.